Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the Return of Ritual online show. I'm Amber Winston, and today I have an amazing guest that I'm really thrilled and honored to be speaking with. Um, so I'd like to welcome to the show Morgan Daimler. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. So nice to have Morgan. Um, Morgan is a witch. She's a polytheist. She's been practicing this since the early 90s. Um, she's been following this path inspired by Irish fairy faith, blended with neo-pagan witchcraft. She teaches classes on Irish myths and magical practices, fairies, and related subjects in the United States as well as internationally. Um, I'm currently reading her book called Fairies, and it is extremely well researched. She is an amazing author, and so I, again, am just so honored to have you. Well, thank you for that. So Morgan, I want to start by just asking kind of a fun question to get us going. What is your zodiac sign? <laughs> um, my zodiac is actually sort of a, a fun story in and of itself because uh, my sun sign is a Libra, but my zodiac is what's called a bundle sign uh, or bundle chart. Now I can't remember the correct term, but basically it means I have four signs in Libra and um, four in Scorpio. And I have like a couple little uh, attached on the end, but all of my signs are kind of in a big chunk. So I'm just a big Libra Scorpio mess, basically. <laughs> and do you do you relate to those signs? I guess the air and the water and. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I definitely have the Libra indecisiveness too. So <laughs> that, that stereotypical. Don't take me shopping because I'm useless. So. Yeah, totally. Despite oh, all. Fun. Right. Like, I don't know. It all looks good. Exactly. Um, so the, the reason why, <laughs> yes, um, I want to just give a little background. You know, the reason why I started the return of ritual is really through my own general curiosity um, and observation of our Western society. So I really believe that all cultures, our ancestors, ancient civilizations have had sacred ritual as kind of the backbone of their society. And when I look around kind of our modern Western existence, I am saddened to see that sacred ritual and ceremony is kind of stripped or it's, it's really non-existent or, you know, in pockets, there are things, I know religion certainly has certain rituals and ceremonies that they abide by, but I would say generally, I feel like it's, it's lacking. And, and so through this research and by talking to experts like yourself, I really want to uncover, you know, how can we bring sacred ritual back into our daily lives to connect to ourselves, to our communities, and really to our higher purpose. Um, so with that kind of background on return of ritual, I, I now want to ask you, you know, your ideal perfect day, what would be your morning ritual or evening ritual? I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate for um, small daily rituals, but like multiple small daily rituals. Um, and I, I think it's important when we're looking at the concept of sort of bringing the sacred and bringing um, ritual into daily life uh, that we sort of shift away from seeing it as um, sort of big flashy things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so a lot of the things that I do 
in my day-to-day -day life that are, are more in terms of ritual and honoring the sacred uh, tend to be smaller things. Um, going out and standing outside for a few minutes and just, um, you know, closing my eyes and breathing and feeling that connection to the world around me, to the spirits around me, um, making small offerings, uh, food and drink, because uh, that's a, a part of my practice that I feel connects me uh, to the unseen, if you will. Um, you know, at the end of the day, kind of doing the same thing, taking a few minutes and just um, pausing to sort of be calm and be present, which is harder on some days <laughs> than others. Um, you know, but things like that, I think, are important. Um, you know, taking a minute before eating to just sort of appreciate the food um, for what it is and for how it got there. And, you know, you don't have to make a big to-do out of it or, or say anything or um, have anything like formalized with it. It's just that that moment of awareness to me is a ritual in and of itself. Mm. Um, so things like that. You know, for me, that's a lot of my daily, my daily life kind of stuff. I love that. I think it's a really nice reminder that things don't have to be big or, and ornate and flashy. And, and I think that that's going to tie in nicely to some questions that I have to come. But before we get there, I am curious, you know, how did you just step onto this path um, <laughs> of, you know, studying and writing about Irish myth, witchcraft? the good people, you know, how, um, how did this all begin for you? I don't know if I stepped onto it so much as I got like, like drafted into it, so to speak. But um, I mean, the, well, I guess there is a short version to this really, but um, basically my entire life, I've kind of been aware of um, the fact that there was something, uh, something sort of beyond the human if you will. Um, I sort of had always, even when I was very young, um, seen and experienced these things. And I was lucky enough in my childhood, I kind of grew up in what I refer to as a secular agnostic family, which basically means that we were, my sister and I were raised with no religion. Um, mm -hmm. We, our holidays were entirely secular. Um, Easter was a bunny that brought chocolate eggs. You know, Christmas was Santa. Um, I don't even know mm -hmm. how old I was when I, I finally found out that Christmas was an actual religious holiday because <laughs> it just wasn't. Right. Um, but my point with that is that it was good for me because when I was talking about seeing fairies and um, having some of the experiences I was having, uh, my family didn't discourage it because they didn't mm -hmm. have a very rigid viewpoint that was against that kind of thing. Um, my dad's, uh, stepfather was from Ireland, was Irish. And so, um, his side of the family, um, we also have, uh, Native American on that side of the family. And there was a lot of sort of ingrained belief in it. They were Catholic, my dad's family, but, um, there's a lot of ingrained belief in, in these things, in fairies and, and supernatural beings. So when I would talk about these things, my family more humored it than anything else, but it allowed me to um, continue to have the belief until I reached the age uh, when I was about 11 or 12, 
when I found out that witchcraft, you know, was out there and um, paganism, polytheism was out there as a religion. And to me, that was kind of a big aha moment because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that made made sense for the things that I was already believing and relating to. Um, you know, I had grown up with a lot of sort of um, Irish di- Irish American diaspora beliefs, um, and I started really researching into um, Irish beliefs in Ireland and Irish mythology and Irish folklore, and a lot of that also made sense with the things that I had been experiencing and sort of perceiving, and it gave me a context for for things. Um, yeah. Which is why I say I didn't so much like find it as it kind of found, found you. Yeah. Um, and then it just all really went from there. So mm. I can relate to that. I, I, I grew up very similarly in a secular kind of agnostic um, environment where Christmas, you know, I, I still get excited for Christmas because to me it was, you know, just Santa and presents and um, British traditions because my parents are both British. So we make mince pies and have sausage rolls and, you know, it's more of like celebrating a feast with a family to me. Um, and so I really relate to that because it kind of the environment in which it sounds you were raised in kind of created just an open container for you to then explore and then when you found Irish myth and other things that allowed you to put context to what you were already experiencing which I find so so beautiful um so thank you for sharing that Um, my mother has stories of me when I was like um eight or nine and I would write little letters to the fairies and put them on the windowsill I mean things like that and you know I think a different family that would not have been necessarily encouraged (laughs) maybe today I mean this was I'm talking back in the 1980s at that point um and back then you I don't think there was quite as much um open-mindedness in general out there but you know I was kind of lucky that things happened the way they did so absolutely and I think that that's also kind of a nice reminder too for um the listeners that if they have little little kids or you know children that are experiencing other things that there's probably a lot of really great resources out there for parents who have children that are maybe more connected to the unseen world and to really just allow it to happen. You know, I think so many of us as children kind of get cut off from that world and what a beautiful reminder to actually encourage that for, for your children. If you're, if you're listening to this, um, I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about the word, witch. so I, and, and the reason I kind of have more of a general question around witchcraft and the word witch is I think that it carries a lot of weight in our society. And for people who are not familiar at all, you know, they're going to associate witchcraft with the devil or other things and, and tend to shy away from it and, and not want to engage. And so I was hoping you could actually just unpack the word witch for us and witchcraft. And what does it mean? <laughs> I think that would be a whole episode in and of itself. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm Cliff Notes version. Uh, the, yes, the super Cliff Notes version. Um, I mean, yeah. it's a good question, of course, and it's it's a great topic. Um, it just is. It's very complicated. Um, mm. I mean, in the in the broadest sense, um, witchcraft is just the practice of folk magic, um, which a lot of people do who wouldn't even necessarily call themselves witches. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's something that's always been around. Humans have always done it. 
Um, it, it really doesn't have any positive or negative connotations inherently to it. Um, if we look at like the history of it or, you know, sort of throughout the centuries, different cultures, you know, people have used folk magic for healing. Um, they've used it for, you know, finding things that are lost, uh, for divination, for all sorts of things that we wouldn't necessarily think of as, as bad or negative. Um, and then, of course, there are people who do use it for things that um, people could put, you know, more negative judgments on. Um, I mean, I think there's always, you always have to take into account the context that's coming up, um, which is where I say that gets very complicated. Um, you know, when we, when we look at the word witch itself, it, um, again, you could trace back the etymology and get into what the word itself means, but it, it really just refers to a person who um, practices magic. Um, and usually a specific type of magic that's more folk magic, more simple, more connected to the earth, more, um, you know, something that anyone could do. Uh, I mean, there's other sorts of magic out there that are, are different. Um, so, you know, I think... So what would an example of folk magic be? Like, what would be, like, just for somebody to understand, what would a folk magic ritual be for, for somebody? Oh, to contextualize so, there's so many examples out there um <laughs> let me think of try to think of things that will come to mind quickly um i mean basic examples of folk magic would be um sort of everyone when they think of witchcraft i shouldn't say everyone many people when they think of witchcraft immediately think of the little poppets the little dolls that you see in like hollywood movies um, and those are actually things that were used in like English and um, Scottish and, and Irish folk magic. Um, they were usually used for healing. And, you know, uh, I mean, they could be used for other things as well, but primarily for healing. And you would make the figure to sort of represent the person who was ill and then um, hold it. And uh, I mean, there's, Again, there's so many different ways to do this. So I'm, this is like the Cliff Note simplified version. <laughs> um, you could put it out in the sunlight or under moonlight or, you know, pray to a specific higher power um, or, you know, various things along these lines to ask that the person be healed. Um, you could uh, stuff the doll with particular herbs that were associated with healing, um, all things along those lines. That would all be types of folk magic. Um, lighting candles is often incorporated into folk magic. Um, you light the candle and you sort of would say out loud, you know, let this come to pass. Um, right. So, you know, any of yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I think it just helps people kind of conceptualize a little bit and understand that these practices have been around for a very long time. And I think recently we have different stigmas um, around witchcraft. And so I just wanted to just generally unpack the term a little bit for people who are listening that might not have any exposure to this. Um, and certainly, like you said, this could probably be a, a topic all in itself, but I just wanted to kind of skim the surface of that because it's sure. part of who you are and what, what you practice. Um, but what I'm really excited to talk to you about is the good people or the fairies that ever since I started reading your book, now I realize the respect around actually saying 
the word fairy. And so now I'm like the good neighbors, the good people. I'm like using these terms that you have written about in your book. And the reason I'm so um, just curious and intrigued to learn more about this is um, from a very young age as well, I was given a lot of um, fairy materials and books, but not the Disney-fied version or the Hollywood version. It was very much the grotesque um, or just the, I guess, the accurate representation of the fairy realm. And I was always just intrigued by it since I was little and when I've moved into this house that we live in here I was very much connecting to um, the other world or or what I interpreted as the fairy realm um, with a specific tree that we had out front and I would leave little offerings for it and um, they started to leave me things like Hmm. I would put out like little coffee beans um, or, you know, a little thing of milk or something. And then the next day I'd go out there and there would be like seashells or like mm. a crystal. And I was like blown away. And so just from that little experience, um, I've just become very intrigued in learning more. And so I thought, this is so amazing that I get to talk to you. And I don't know where our conversation is going to go, but I want you to just talk to me about maybe your first experience with fairy, um, any anecdote that you want to share or describe this realm for us, like just kind of giving you free reign to, to, to share a little bit about this. Talk about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I can even remember really my, my first dealing with it. Cause like I said, it goes back into my childhood. Um, I mean, I have memories when I was probably five years old um, of being uh, up at night and scared because you know how little kids can get um you know the the street light shining in my window with the tree branches or making scary shapes on the wall and I was five so you know it freaked me out um and having uh, a woman of the the other world uh what we would call a fairy woman um sort of there with me in my room and, and comforting me and telling me it would be okay um, and that's one of the the earlier ones that I can think of, um, you know, sort of like what you had said earlier, mentioning um, the the older folklore using the term grotesque, which is a good and accurate word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of what we have today, particularly in the, the United States, we've lost the nuances with it. It tends to be very... Um, everything's gentle and kind and usually very tiny um, twee is a word wings. yep <laughs> little wings <laughs> and harmless and um, you know the reality is uh, when you look at uh, the sort of the breadth and the scope of the folklore and anecdotal accounts um, even up through the modern era even up through today um, you know my personal experiences included but also you know things you can find with a lot of other people Um, you do see things that are gentle and kind and sort of fit that very narrow view that's out there but there's also so much more you know and there's things that are just weird (laughs) and sort of inexplicable Um, and then there's things that do seem to be dangerous or frightening or um, you know grotesque as you said and it's just this whole wide range. And I think that we sort of um, lose a lot 
when we lose those nuances. I think it's important, um, you know, if you're trying to connect to this or if you're interested in it, or even if you're just studying it from a purely, you know, academic perspective, just interest you as a subject, um, it's important to keep all of this in mind, that there is this huge diversity with it and that there's um, this whole range of stories. And, you know, like I said, my, my very first experience I can remember was a pretty positive one. Um, it was with a being who um, was very comforting and, you know, obviously didn't mean me any harm because I'm still here, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I've definitely had other experiences that were um, unnerving or um, even frightening. You know, I've, I've stum sort of stumbled into things that I definitely immediately was like, oh, I should not be here. <laughs> you know, like you turn a corner and you're like, oh no, and then back out slowly sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and do you mean that in the sense that you're actually seeing these these realms or that you're just you're sensing um i i do actually see them but it's often a combination of both um mm -hmm. and if i'm with other people uh if the other people can't also see them and i i've had both i've been in situations with other people that can also see the same things i'm seeing um and i've been in situations with other people that can't see them but they can sense things right um, sort of depends on what sort of, you know, psychics you hang out with to use a, a broad term. Um, right. <laughs> right. I need, I need, I need more of those around here. I need to find my psychic friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyone in San Diego friends. who's listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'll give you one example on the, the diversity thing. Um, so it was midsummer and we were mm -hmm. actually here where I am now in my friend's store. And we had had a little midsummer celebration circle with a group of people. And most of the people had left. And it was myself and my friend and another friend of ours named David. And we were kind of cleaning up. And suddenly this, it looked to my friend who owns the store, uh, my friend Allison, it looked like a very large moth, like the size of, of hands that came in. And she sort of exclaimed because where I live, we don't have that sort of thing. Like our moths do not get that big. <laughs> it no, was, like a moth I'm thinking is like right, that big, right? Right, right. This is like bigger than bats are around here. Um, and it was white. Uh, and so she sort of pointed it out as it flew in. It was like, you know, what the heck? What are we going to do? Because we obviously have to get it out. My friend David and I looked up and what we both saw independently of each other was something with the body of a person and like a human face humanoid face but wings like a moth um and it sort of flew up we have big um like picture windows in the front of the store it kind of flew up towards one of those um i was sort of standing there like i honestly i've never been in this situation i don't know quite what to do um, I also, I'll be totally honest, and this was about 20 years ago now, I, I kind of did not believe at that point that the little winged fairies even existed. So prove me wrong, but it was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, yeah. so I didn't, I didn't quite know what to do. Um, our friend David though, kind of went over and just pointed at it and yelled and was just like, you, you need to get out. 
and it immediately dropped straight down into the window display of the store. And I'm, I'm not kidding when I say it was like the size of, of pants and it was just yeah. gone. It was completely gone. We all three of us looked for it. It was not there. There was no other way it could have left because it was not small. It had just totally disappeared. But each of us had seen slightly different things. Um, like I said, Allison saw it as just a gigantic white moth, but she knew it was not right. Like there was something weird about it. Mm. Um, David and I, when we were talking afterwards, um, he had seen it slightly different than what I had seen, but very similar. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I was saying with depending on who you're with, people are going to perceive yeah. things maybe slightly similarly or the same, or they might feel it. Um, it's not necessarily going to be identical experiences. Right. And did you guys get the sense that, I mean, I wouldn't, so in our like 3D existence, you know, a big moth comes in, you don't want that in your house or your store. So you're going to like naturally want it to get out. Um, did you sense that this was like a, a harmful being or like, was that was just more everyone's natural response? Mischievous. <laughs> yeah, I think it was messing with us a little bit. It was midsummer. Um, yeah. And that, that tends to be a time of year when the energy gets a little... Um, you know, practical joke-ish, I guess. Right. So. Talk to us about like losing our keys. What's the theory <laughs> behind that? Yeah, I don't know exactly which type of fairy. I have my theories, but I don't know for sure which type of fairy this is. But there's, there is one that definitely loves stealing car keys. And this is a phenomena that has been noted among many, many, many people. Um, and it always follows the same pattern, which is usually you put them down somewhere that you always put them down that's distinctive, like your kitchen table. And then you go to do something and you go to go back and your keys are gone. And you look everywhere for them, you can't find them. And either you finally give up and then they're exactly where you left them to begin with that you checked 20 times. Or you get really frustrated and start swearing or, you know, yelling or saying something <laughs> and then turn around and they're right in front of you or something along those lines. Like they, they always turn yep. up somewhere that they could not have been the whole time. Um, and it, honestly, it's much like the moth. I, I think they just do it because they, they like messing with people sometimes. <laughs> and it, it is a really good way to get people, to get humans like super spun up and agitated. Right. We're very right. attached to our car keys. We are. Yes, we are. And it's so funny, the emotion that like comes up for, for people when they can't find their keys. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a very interesting one. It is. Usually as soon as you hit that peak frustration, that's when it's they'll like, show It's up. there. Yep. They're like, okay, I've wow. pushed this as far as I can push it. We'll, we'll give them their keys back now. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and what about talk, talk talk to us a little bit about the brownies that are kind of maybe more um, and I don't know if ambivalent is the correct term, but like tend to be around humans in our homes more. Like, what is that all about? Ambivalent's a good way to describe them. Um, and they're another one that have kind of gotten some like uh, really good modern PR that is a little different from the older folklore. Um, brownies are a Scottish fairy, although you can kind of find them everywhere, find stories of them a lot 
uh, more widespread now. Um, but they're, they're basically um, human-sized or on the smaller end of human-sized. And they're supposed to be, um, you know, generally dressed pretty poorly, kind of in rags. And they often will work in a human household or sometimes farms or even mills, but they seem to like humans. They like human habitations, like being around humans. Uh, they don't like being seen though. They're usually very shy. They'll come out like when everyone's sleeping and they'll tidy up and do chores. Um, Sounds amazing. I feel like I need one of these. Because <laughs> it clearly is something that people would like to have around. Um, yes. In farms, they would do like farm chores and, and help with the animals. They were particularly good with like herding animals. Um, mills, they would come out at night when the mill was closed and do work around the mill, that kind of thing. Um, usually they're seen as, as fairly positive and benevolent, but, you know, like, like any kind of fairy, they can be annoyed and they can be offended. And when that happens, they can get very extreme with their reactions. Um, you know, there's, there's one particular story of a brownie that um, was one of the farm brownies did farm work and someone said something insulting about the crops, um, basically that he, the brownie wasn't um, working well enough, wasn't working hard enough. Um, and he was so upset about this being said that he destroyed all the crops, just, you know, laid waste to everything. Um, they also tend to not be um, big fans of Christianity, which is something we see going both ways. Like some fairies really are super interested in um, Christianity and uh, different particular like Catholicism and others are very uh, sort of driven away by it. Um, brownies are one of the ones that are driven away by it. So things like reading a Bible out loud will make them leave a place. Um, there's a story of one that um, someone, a very well-meaning person decided to try to baptize, you know, to help save the brownie. And the brownie did not appreciate this non-consensual <laughs> forcible baptism and like fled the area never to be seen again. So, you know, they, they, they kind of, ambivalence the best word for them. I think you, you kind of hit okay. that on the head at the beginning. They can be helpful, okay. but, you know, and if you offer them clothes, um, that really offends them and then they'll go on a tear and, and break stuff up and cause all kinds of chaos. Now, now when you say offer them clothes, like I'm picturing like leaving your clothes out and I know that my husband like every day like leaves a pile of clothes out and I too have become guilty that <laughs> I take all my clothes off and it's like there's this pile that's accumulating. Is that interpreted as like we're leaving out clothes for you? No, that would be fine. That would be fine. It's, it's more because okay, I was like, if that's the case, I could use that one. I could be like, you know, honey, you got to put your clothes away. You're going to offend yeah. the brownie. Yeah. Well, feel free. If you think it'll help, <laughs> interpret it as you will. But um, now in the stories, because they often appear dressed in rags, there's stories of, again, well-meaning people who would decide, well, I'm going to give them a nice new suit or a new dress or what have you. Um, and there's one of two responses. In, in some few cases, they would celebrate and be like, yay, I have new clothes. I'm never going to work again and disappear and you would never see them again. So clearly not what you want um, if you have mm -hmm. a brownie. Um, but the other response would be they would get enormously offended <laughs> at this implication <laughs> that they, they needed mm -hmm. you to clothes. 
Um, and again, they would go on a big tear and, and break a bunch of stuff. Um, traditionally, if you have a brownie or you feel like you have that sort of helpful house spirit around you, um, just once a week, you would leave out a little bit of cream or milk in a bowl and maybe a bit of bread or a little cake um, without much ceremony. Again, because they tend to be very shy, just sort of put it down and leave it for them. Um, but no clothes and no clothes. Yeah, I love it. And, and I do just want to like take a moment to, you know, pause and go, this is very well documented and researched and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and, you know, Morgan, you, I know just from reading your one book and I know you have others, you know, this is extremely well researched information and folklore that's been, you know, present in Ireland and Scotland and England for, for a very long time. So can you just like remind us of that? Cause I know when we are going down these rabbit holes of stories and talking about brownies, someone who maybe is like listening, going, what are they talking about? You know, just remind us that about the history and about the, the tradition that you're disclosing with us today. Yep. I, I'm a rabid folklore nut. I probably should have prefaced everything with that. Um, so it doesn't take much for me to go off on a, a story tangent. Um, but yeah, these are all um, folk tales, folk stories, traditions um, that have been around pretty much as long as we have uh, written material. Um, they also include modern accounts. So for example, um, the Irish is my main uh, personal focus, but it, you, you're very right to point out you can also find this in Scottish. Um, English, Welsh, um, Cornish, kind of all through that whole area. Um, in the Irish material, uh, you can go back in written records as long as there's writing. You can pick out these stories. Um, there was a collection that was put together in the early 20th century. Um, it's a folklore collection that was um, written down by school children. It was sort of a, a school project. They went out and interviewed people um, around the areas they lived in, people of all different ages. And it was collecting stories on many, many different subjects, but there's quite a lot of fairy lore that's in there. And it's often things like people recounting um, either things that they were told, like secondhand from someone else who knew the person, or they're recounting things that they knew the person had happened to, or they knew the family that this had happened in or to. Um, and those were recorded, I believe, in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, Duhisai mm. is the name of the, the website. Um, and uh, there's a YouTuber named Michael Fortune who does the equivalent of that today. He, he goes around Ireland, he interviews people, um, all age ranges from children to the elderly, and asks them to recount, you know, folklore. And he has quite a collection of people who are talking about modern 20th century, um, you know, 21st century uh, experiences um, with fairies, with these beings. Um, and again, wow. sometimes it's personal, sometimes it's, oh, this happened to this person that you know, or this was told to me by this person. Um, so it's not like, like six degrees of separation a lot of times. Mm -hmm. It's very mm -hmm. close to the person repeating the story. Um, there was something called the fairy census that was done I know it's a weird name, but um, it was not an actual census of fairies, just so we're clear. 
uh, it was a census of people who had had fairy encounters in the 21st century. You can find it online. It's free PDF. Um, the Fairy Investigation Society is the one who did it. Uh, and, you know, these are modern anecdotal accounts from within the last, you know, well, within my lifetime, within your lifetime, uh, mm -hmm. some of them within the last few years. Uh, so it's really... And now, are they usually central, are they centralized around the isles that we've been talking about, Ireland and Scotland, or are they accounts of people like here in San Diego or wherever, you, you know, you're, you're on the East Coast, right? Yeah, so yeah, I'm on the East Coast. Are they all over or? The, the ferry census accounts are all over. Um, okay. There's some interesting theories that go on with some of this, but it does seem to be that as the human populations moved around, the different types of ferry beings that were connected to them uh, migrated or moved with them. So we can find accounts of Irish fairies in Massachusetts, for example, in, in newspaper articles. If you ever want entertainment, by the way, read old newspaper articles from like the 1800s because they're hilarious because what they considered news back then, very different from what we consider today. <laughs> um, but they're, they're, they're like, Give us an example of that. Like what? There's a newspaper account from 1883, I believe it is, from Massachusetts, that talks about in this one town how the people believed that the fairies and the pixies were um, not getting along with each other. And the fairies were the good spirits and the pixies were the bad ones. Um, and I mean, it's, it's an account that's a little tongue in cheek. Obviously, the reporter doesn't quite believe it. But this is how they reported it. And um, I mean, you can you can still read it today in print. Very entertaining. Um, there's a website called Haunted Ohio, which collects these newspaper clipping kind of things. And um, she had Chris Woodyard is the one that does that. And she has quite a few that are fairy related from Ohio. So um, can you, you imagine know, having that in the newspaper today? People would be like, what? You know, that just <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and, no, and that's part of like what I'm getting at, right? It's like that that ritual or those traditions, mm -hmm. these folklores, this way of existing as humanity is, you know, it's it's not as present for most people, and so that's really why I'm just so fascinated by this because it's like how can we start to bring that magic back into our lives? Yeah, I think I think a big first step is to just be <clears throat> open to believing in it. Mm. You know, it's, it's a really interesting thing um, because I've, I've been to Ireland, I've been to Iceland, and both of those places have um, much stronger belief in the other world than we have in the United States. And if you ask people in both places, a lot of times what they'll tell you is, no, of course I don't believe in, you know, fairies or, or elves. But at the same time, like they do take it much more seriously, um, like roads get rerouted, um, the idea that you just don't do certain things because it might offend the unseen beings. And even though they'll say, well, no, I, I don't believe in it, but I'm not going to take that chance, you know, and there's, there's just more of an ingrained respect that comes yeah. along with it. And we definitely do not have that in the United States. No, not at all. But I can echo the same sentiments. I, I went to Ireland for the first time this year, actually. Oh, and just cool. 
the the I mean, fairy was just so present there for for most people. Like it was just, you know, I was walking through these forests and there was like fairy doors and offerings everywhere. And it was just very much kind of part of the culture, like you're saying. And, and I, and I just find that so refreshing that, you know, people are actually connecting to the other worlds and um, just the magic. I think there's something so beautiful about, connecting to magic and um, especially when so many of us I like to say are in the hamster wheel of life where we're just constantly churning and chugging along and you know going to work and making food and it's like what's what's the bigger picture here you know and I and I think that most people want more sacred in their lives and more magic in their lives and so this is just such a beautiful um kind of offering for people just to kind of start thinking a little bit outside the box or I love what you said just be open to believing mm-hmm. well that's I think that that's so nice you know we had kind of touched on this a couple questions ago um talking about children and just you know letting children believe um I think a lot of the problem that we have as adults or you know with adults is we've been told so many times over and over and over that we have to be rational and we have to be skeptical and you know we can't believe in these things that um, it gets ingrained in us to a degree that it just sort of destroys that sense of enchantment with the world Um, and it does it takes the the enjoyment out of it like you you can't go and really appreciate that magical feeling that some places can have um, because we're sort of trained not to, you know, mm-hmm. we, we get it sort of, you know, ground out of us. And I think, you know, we kind of have to get back into that headspace that children can have where anything's possible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Thank you for that. Such a nice reminder for all of us. To, and, it, and it just, I think it also is kind of like inviting a little bit of levity you know, in as well and and more joy in people's lives, like to to think about the other worlds and the magic that exists and to believe. And, you know, it's just such a, I think, a refreshing kind of way to be thinking for so many of us who might just be so in the other world. Um, and so that's really kind of my invitation for those that are listening that are kind of intrigued by this. You know, Morgan, I would say, is an excellent research if you're interested in learning more she's got a ton of really great content um and some amazing books so i would definitely recommend um checking her out and i'll post um the link to her uh website where you can find out more about her work um but before we go morgan i did just want to i mean i felt like i could just talk about fairies the whole time and i'm like wait this is about rituals (laughs) um and and i know you've been doing some work (laughs) i know i know maybe we'll have a part two but um i'm I know you've been doing work around or you've been studying some rituals um, around the Pleiades. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Pleiades. Yeah. Yeah. Pleiades. Okay. And, and I find this interesting and I want to talk about this briefly because I'm noticing a lot of full moon ceremonies, new moon ceremonies. I actually do them myself with the community here. Um, And then, you know, there's like solstice ceremonies and other things, or if you follow kind of the pagan calendar, there's obviously things, there as well um but star rituals i've never even thought about this and so can you first of all just tell us what Pleiades is and then what your thoughts are around 
creating rituals around the stars. Sure. Um, the Pleiades is a constellation. Um, it's also called the Seven Sisters. Um, it actually, I shouldn't say it's also, it's got many, many names. It's a significant constellation in pretty much every culture globally. Um, and I am not going to remember all of the names that it has um, around the world, but pick a culture and the Pleiades will be significant there um, because it just, it's, it's a stunningly important constellation. Um, it's the way that this all got started was unintentional on my part, but when I was in Iceland, uh, I ended up having sort of an intense experience with several friends of mine and it involved the Pleiades and the other world. And I sort of had made this connection for myself. And again, with, with a couple friends that um, maybe certain points of this constellation when this constellation is in at certain places in in our sky um that that might be ritually significant that those might be times to celebrate um in different ways and i ended up doing a lot of research um, into that particular constellation and the history of it um, i found out that there's neolithic sites um, the stone monument sites that uh, some uh, archaeologists and some astronomers believe were aligned to the Pleiades. Um, I found out that it used the constellation um, used to be used to time things like planting in the spring, um, the the beginning of spring, the beginning of uh, the sailing season, um, all sorts of really fascinating things. I had never realized how significant um, that constellation in particular was, or really just in general stars. Um, I got into neo-paganism and witchcraft, as I had mentioned, when I was about 11 or 12, and everything is very solar and very lunar. You know, it's very much, you know, solstices and equinoxes and then the phases mm -hmm. of the moon, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but this had sort of inspired me to look into the idea of timing things by, uh, by constellations, by certain points uh, with the constellations. And I found out that the Pleiades have a specific cycle um, that they, they go through in relation to you know, our world, basically. Um, and that there's four particular points throughout the year that are kind of significant with that. Um, one, when you can't see them in the sky, they're conjunct with the sun. Um, one, when they rise just before, or yeah, when they're on the horizon just before the sun is rising. Um, and then there's a point when they're on the horizon um, just when the sun is setting. And then there's a point when they're directly overhead at midnight, uh, which is November 20th. That was the most recent one that just passed. And so I sort of started creating this um, cycle of ritual throughout the year that follows those four points and that sort of ties them into the idea of acknowledging the other world and connecting that to our world. Um, and it just ended up being this much, much bigger thing than I expected it to be. But um, it was really fascinating the more I dug into it to find out that most likely stars and star worship uh, was a profoundly big thing probably 10,000 years ago. Um, oh, yeah. And then we just shifted out of that at some point yep. and went into to solar and lunar stuff. And that, that was new to me. I mean, I managed to make mm -hmm. it, 
you know, a, a good portion of my life <laughs> without really understanding uh, how significant constellations and constellation cycles could be. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's very fascinating. And just things that come to mind are like the North Star mm -hmm. or, you know, just very general things. Um, you know, I can imagine the stars were used for navigation, right? And so what else, you know, were there star worship ceremonies or things around specific stars? I, I bet, I mean, I bet there was way more that we probably just aren't even aware of. Yeah. Um, but I think this is such a beautiful thing to consider. And have you started to figure out kind of the, the meaning or the why behind honoring Pleiades at different parts in her cycle? Like, are, have you connected that or gotten any insights for the benefits of that? I mean, I have my, my personal belief on this end. Um, I always have to clarify with this because I'm such a research-based person and, and most of what I write about is very like, here's a citation for you. Um, mm -hmm. But in this case, you know, I think the, the real significance of it for me and, you know, I hope for, for anyone else who, who enjoys doing it because um, I've, I've been sharing it online as I've been going so I know other people are also following along with this as well. But um, the real significance for me is that it makes me feel more closely connected and more aligned with the other world and with yeah. um, particularly the queens of fairy, which is sort of a, a big thing that I do in my personal practice. So it's, it seems to me to be a way to kind of reconnect and realign with that mm. energy um, and with, with those beings and yeah. why the Pleiades specifically, I don't know, but it, it works really well. And I think we stumbled onto it for a reason, so. Yeah, it came to you. It chose you again. <laughs> I always end up being in these strange places at these strange times. <laughs> oh, it's magic. It's so magical. Um, Morgan, this has been really great. You've been fantastic. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Um, I'm definitely going to link to some of your, your amazing books in the show notes. You guys can check her out if you're interested in learning more about um, what she does. It's amazing. I'm loving it. So I'm so happy to have had you on the show today. Oh, and, thank you for having um, me on. It was really fun. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can do a part two some, sometime. <laughs> I've definitely come back for part two. Okay. <laughs> Thanks.